You're listening to Black Mirror Reflections, a podcast thinking through the technology, philosophy, morality, and politics of the series Black Mirror. Welcome back to Black Mirror Reflections. Today I'm joined by Michael Norton to talk about Season 3, Episode 4 of Black Mirror, San Junipero. Michael Norton is an Associate Professor of Philosophy and Interdisciplinary Studies at the University of Arkansas, Little Rock. He specializes in philosophy of religion and contemporary continental philosophy, particularly phenomenology and deconstruction. His research draws on deconstruction and recent materialist perspectives with the goal of constructing a philosophical understanding of religious traditions through concrete practices with an emphasis on pluralism. Now, Michael and I are both Villanova alums, and although our time there did not overlap, I had the very good fortune to get to know him socially through our common Villanova fam. Then I was absolutely blown away by a paper that he gave a few years ago at SPEP, a professional organization to which we both belong, the Society for Phenomenology and Existential Philosophy, which is my other extended fam, and I have been super impressed with Michael ever since. He also plays in a little rock band, fantastically named Thisness, and though our musical tastes don't overlap much, our obsessive dedication to music certainly does. So I'm so happy to have Michael join me today to talk about San Junipero. Okay, so welcome, Michael. Thank you very much for having me, Lee. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So I'm going to ask you the same question that I've been asking all the guests so far, right here at the beginning. If you could summarize for us the basic plot of San Junipero. Yes, a- absolutely. So it opens, we see a, a young woman whose name we find out soon is Yorkie like the dog breed. She's in a seaside uh, town. She walks into a bar that we see very quickly is very 1980s themed in its decor, in the outfits that people are wearing, in the music that you hear. And she goes in, she seems a little hesitant. She ends up striking a conversation with someone, another young woman whom we find out is named Kelly. They converse, they end up dancing, they hit it off. They're talking outside. It seems like they're about to hook up, but that ends up not happening. Yorkie is hesitant. And we cut out and it comes back. It's a week later and Yorkie is back at the bar. She's after getting ready, trying on different outfits. She's looking for Kelly. And at first Kelly is not necessarily paying attention to her, but she confronts her in the bathroom. And they do end up hooking up this time. They go back to Kelly's house, which is a beautiful seaside home. They sleep together and they are lying awake talking as the clock nearby is approaching midnight. They're starting to get to know each other a little bit, but not really revealing much about each other yet. And then the scene cuts to black right at midnight. So again, it's a week later, Yorkie comes back. Is, and is looking for Kelly in the bar. She can't find her. So she asks around. She is directed to another bar in the town, or maybe just a little bit away from the town, called the Quagmire. She goes there and she finds out it's a much different place. It's rough. It's maybe uh, kind of BDSM themed, or at least a lot of the people there are, are engaged in that kind of activity, engaged wearing those sorts of outfits. And there's also like a cage match going on at, one point it's creeping her out 
But she ends up running into a guy that she knows, Kelly knows from an earlier scene. He's very drunk, it seems, and despondent. And so she asks him if he knows where Kelly might be. And he says, why don't you try different times, different decades? She likes to move around or something like that. That's the first glimpse we get in the episode that something is black mirror-ish, that something's (laughs) out of the ordinary. And that's almost halfway through the episode. So up until then, it's been very straightforward, like I said, 1980s themed, just whirlwind love story. But that throws a little bit of oddness into it. So then we see Yorkie coming back into this town at different time periods. So there's a scene where she's looking for Kelly and it seems to be like the late 70s. There's a scene where she's looking for Kelly and it seems to be like the mid 90s. And then finally, I think the scene in which she finds Kelly is like the early 2000s. And then, of course, there are various clues in the the music, especially, but also the sets that let you where this is in time. So when she finds Kelly, they have an argument because Yorkie is expressing her feelings for Kelly and Kelly seems to be standoffish. She doesn't, she's not interested. She doesn't want that. She just wants quick uh, flings or one night stands. She's looking for fun and not a human connection. She says, that's why I came here, just to have fun. But finally, Yorkie wins Kelly over and they go back to Kelly's house again they, after I think after sleeping together again, they're talking and we start to learn more about these characters. And here we are, and I think we're about two thirds of the way into the episode at this point. We learn what's really going on, which is that San Junipero is a virtual reality environment. And both of these characters are actually much older in their real world meat space selves. Kelly is, I believe she has some kind of terminal disease. So she is spending time in San Junipero as a way to get some final kicks before she dies. Yorkie has been in a vegetative state since she was in a car crash when she was very young. And she is visiting San Junipero on these short nightly trips, or I guess they're weekly trips for just a few hours as a kind of trial run because what San Junipero is really set up for is for people to transfer their consciousness into this virtual digital environment when they die or as they die or something like that. And so Kelly and Yorkie get into another argument because Kelly is not planning on making that transition on, I believe they call it passing over. Um, yeah, and this argument that they're having in San Junipero. So yes, yeah. in real life, they're both extremely elderly. One of them is in a coma. The other is terminally ill. But they're having this argument as their young selves in yeah. San Junipero. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, that's a good point to make, right? That, And in fact, there's a point where real world Kelly, the elderly woman, comes and visits real world Yorkie in her care facility And the only way that Yorkie can communicate with other humans is via some kind of electronic digital link with her brain that we would imagine is the same kind of technology that's allowing her to to visit San Junipero. But the point is that like Yorkie is planning on uploading her, her consciousness to live on in San Junipero forever. And Kelly is not. And the reason that Kelly is not is that her husband, who she turns out she had a husband for nearly 50 years before this, 
her husband has already died and he rejected this idea of uploading his consciousness. And his reason for doing so is that Kelly and her husband also had a daughter who died fairly young before this technology was available. And so Kelly said that her husband said, why should I be able to do this when our daughter wasn't able to? Why should I live on forever when I can't live on with my daughter? And that is um, the attitude that Kelly has too. She wants to have fun in this digital environment for a while, but then ultimately die. And that upsets Yorkie. Now, ultimately, what we see at the end of the episode, and I'm skipping over one detail about Yorkie's story that I'll come back to, but we're, uh, what we see at the end of the episode is after Yorkie has passed over into San Junipero and is chilling on the beach by herself, and the credits start rolling um, under Belinda Carlisle's Heaven is a Place on Earth, Yorkie is driving this convertible, this flashy red 80s convertible, and she drives to Kelly's house, and Kelly is there. And so Yorkie picks up Kelly at the house and they drive off into the sunset and it looks like, oh, Kelly changed her mind. There was a scene uh, slightly before that where real world elderly Kelly says to her caretaker, I'm ready for the rest of it. And so that's interpreted that she changed her mind and she is going to live on in San Junipero with Yorkie, whom she has fallen for. So that's the episode in a nutshell. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot here. Maybe let's just start with the most, the biggest thing about this episode, which is that it's presenting us this near future technology where we have the possibility to live forever virtually by transferring our consciousness from our real bodies right before we die into, and actually, you didn't mention this, but it ends up just, we see this picture of a huge, basically, server farm called Tucker Industries, where your consciousness is put on some small chip or cookie, to use the sort of Black Mirror World term, and then just plugged into these large servers, where you go on to exist in this uh, virtual world. Hey, by the way, Tucker Industries shows up later in season five. That's the same company that makes the video game Striking Vipers that uh, okay. the two guys in season five play. But anyway. Uh, There's but another connection. Oh, really? Go ahead. In Black Museum, the the anthology episode, Tucker Systems is, I think, the company that the, the proprietor of the museum used to work for. Oh. And the name of the hospital where he worked, where they did the experiments on feeling others' pain and whatnot, is St. Juniper's Hospital. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love these connections. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, basic, but basically what we're presented here is a version of the afterlife. So it's yeah. presuming already that our consciousnesses can be transferred into some non-meat space body and that we can live on forever. So I just first want to ask you, what do you think? What do you think about this idea of a digital afterlife? I think it's interesting, and this is is one reason why I really love this episode, is that the way it's presented, and I think the way that, certainly the way that it came off initially to a lot of the audience, it seems, and the way that 
personally I reacted to it at first, I'll confess, is that it's a very rosy and attractive picture. And part of that is the nostalgia uh, factor at work here. I, maybe not in real life, but at least aesthetically when I see an episode like this or a show like Stranger Things, these sort of nostalgic pictures of the 80s, I love that stuff because I I love Mm -hmm. that the music especially, but the, the sort of, sort of nostalgic picture of the 80s. I know that's not everybody's taste. This is one of, my, <laughs> this is one of the horrors of this episode for me. It's like, oh God, oh God, an eternity in the 80s? No. Yeah. But <laughs> it seems pads. like a... <laughs> it seems like a very rosy picture. And it does seem like this is the time that can be nostalgically offered to the characters in this episode mm-hmm. who are the age that they are who seem like they would be the same age as me. Like I'm in in my early forties now when I'm in my late sixties, early seventies, which it seems like these characters are, it'll be 30 years from now. And that's about the time frame. It seems like that's, this is placing the real world. So that's, I'm the market, right? For this afterlife. I completely agree. I think this episode is a hundred percent targeted at people who are in their forties now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And also you get like at by the end of the episode where under the credits Yorkie and Kelly are driving into the sunset in California to Belinda Carlisle and it, it, it seems like a really uplifting positive love story with a happy ending and it just it seems great. And I think that's the way it's intended to be presented that San Perro is a kind of heaven, right? Where things are yeah. just great and you get to have all these kinds all this kind of fun that you want to have with no consequences. But on further reflection, and I think there are a lot of clues to this in the episode, I think it's actually a pretty grim picture of the afterlife because it's a, what we actually get is a kind of not, it's not a heaven in a traditional sense of the sort of perfect place or even perfect state of being, right? Outside of time that is distinct from the way that we live our lives today, the way that we experience our lives. It's more like just a continuation of the way that we experience our lives today, dressed up with this nostalgia. Yeah. And when we get that image of the quagmire, for instance, the people that we see in the quagmire, some of them just seem to be having fun, which is fine. But some of them, like the guy who Kelly knows who's drunk and and seems just like really uh, depressed, or the people who are having a kind of bare knuckled fight club cage match. It seems like they are, they're really empty and maybe bored with this kind of forever existence. And they're looking for something to feel right They're look, even if it's pain. Yeah. And that's yeah. mentioned at least once in the, in the episode, right? Where this kind of indefinite, just living on in this constructed reality is eventually going to lead to some kind of boredom some kind of lows as well as these sort of initial highs of, of fun and joy. Yeah. And we're definitely given, we're, we're meant to understand that a lot of people pass through their quagmire phase at some yeah. point. Probably there are also some people who end up kind of taking residence in this rather gritty. And I agree with you. It is definitely looks like a BDSM club when she walks in but this gritty, dark place for lost souls. But presumably, if people are in San Junipero, if the residents of San Junipero, and this is actually important because they do make a distinction between residents of San Junipero, which are people who are dead in real life and who have passed over or transitioned over 
to San Junipero and visitors in San Junipero, which are people who are facing death in real life, who are elderly in real life and nearing death in real life. But there are no people in, there are no visitors in San Junipero who in real life are young and healthy. And this is a place for, you know, to visit, you know, again, only once a week, only for a few hours for people who in real life are about to die. But the residents of San Junipero, the idea is that, or at least it seems to be suggested that all of them are going to reach this point where they need to go to the quagmire. Um, and maybe some of them end up just staying there. But right. I, 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 but it is, it's dark. And it definitely, despite that, as you say, like Rosie love story of the rest of the episode, it definitely reminds us, or at least it's there for us to think about if we want to, that an eternity with, <laughs> as Kelly says later in the episode, with nothing at stake could be quite a dystopic idea. And that's why I think that, so again, the kind of musical cues we hear heaven is a place on earth at the end. And I think we hear a piece of it earlier in the episode too. Yeah, yeah. I think that and some other things in the episode maybe encourage the audience to think of this as a model of heaven in the Christian, or at least the, the sort of Abrahamic view of heaven as the, the place where you go if you're good, it's at the end of your earthly life or, or right. even just at the end of time, but that's yeah. at the end of some kind of linear progression. Whereas I think it's actually helpful and maybe a, a more apt interpretation of what we see in the episode to think of this in terms of the cyclical version of time and the cyclical version of life that we get from, for instance, Indian traditions where you know, there, if you're existing, if you are a living being, if you're a conscious being, then you exist in a cycle of births and deaths. That's just over and over. And you can, you can have better lives or worse lives. You can be in better situations or worse situations. And that includes heavens and hells, as well as the earthly existence that we experience here. But the so the goal is not to get to heaven, not to get to a paradise place. That's maybe a an intermediate goal. But the ultimate goal will be to escape that cycle completely, because anywhere in that cycle. So if we think of it from the Buddhist perspective, for instance, anywhere in that cycle, there's going to be suffering. And the goal is ultimately to alleviate suffering completely. And the way to do that is to alleviate existence. Or if we think about that in the Hindu perspective the goal is to let go of one's the thing that the things that we think about ourselves that are individual because those are the the things that lead to suffering and let go of our attachments and merge with the universal reality of brahman and i think what's very pessimistic and despondent about this episode is there doesn't seem to be a way for those in san junipero to do that they seem to be trapped in this situation forever. And there is a point where in one of those, I think it's the last argument that Yorkie and Kelly are having, where Yorkie tells, uh, is trying to convince Kelly to, to stay in San Junipero. And she says something like, you can leave whenever you want. Or you can cut it off whenever you want. This, this right. isn't a trap. Yeah. Um, but I don't think there's anything in the episode that actually would lead the audience to believe that's actually true. And yeah. you mentioned that shot of the the cookie 
farm or whatever you want to call it at the end, the Tucker Industries cookie farm. That's the last shot in the episode after Kelly and Yorkie have driven off, right? You you see that shot where the cookie is being placed in the rack and it doesn't quite come up this way in the episode, but in the, in the score, the original music for the episode that was composed by Clint Manziel, there's a track called property of Tucker systems or Tucker industries or whatever. And there's, I think that idea that the residents of San Junipero have in some sense become property of the corporation is one of the darker aspects of the episode. I think that there's every reason to think that in some way or another, these people in their digital existence have been trapped in San Junipero. And like you said, without any sort of prospects, without projects, and without without the sense of, of mortality that right. we live with in our meat space lives, that can be really terrifying. Yeah, I do think that it is important to point out that this is not a heaven in in the sort of Christian or even the you know large, broadly speaking, Abrahamic sense, right? This is not a perfect place where people are just sitting around on clouds and adoring their creator or experiencing pure right. joy or anything like that. And in this sense, I do think the Belinda Carlisle song, Heaven is a Place on Earth, and this what this is a simulation of, of our lives on Earth. But the problem is that it's an imperfect simulation because it doesn't include what one could easily argue is the most important thing about our lives on Earth, which is that they end. Is that right. we are immortal, and and that's what makes things people people could argue that's what makes things meaningful. That's what motivates us to do things. This is why we both hope and fear um, and love and all of these things. Right? Is because there's a limited amount of time that we have to do the things that we want to do. So it is interesting to me that this product, and it is a product, it's being sold to people who are dying. This afterlife. That this product is something that promises to be the best parts of life without and 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 promises to not include what to someone who is at death's door would think is the worst part of life, which is that we have to die. And it, it becomes a really enticing purchase at that point. So yeah, I, I really do want to talk for a second about this as a product right, as something that's being sold. I don't think that everyone is going to get to go to San Junipero. I think that we're given some contextual clues that we see both Kelly and Yorkie in their sort of elderly care facilities. They're in these extremely high-end elderly care facilities. And so I think that's meant to suggest to us that rich people go to San Rich people have this option of immortality, right. but not everyone gets to go to San Junipero. And also the idea that, again, they only allow people to visit San Junipero when they're in real life on their death's door. And not, you don't make this decision when you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s even that you want to have this afterlife. You don't even get to see it until you're almost dying. What do you think about this? It seems like extremely manipulative to me. I I think it's definitely manipulative. In fact, I think that there is another point in the episode where one of the main characters says something about getting the opportunity or getting the chance to do this. And so I think that, I think you're right about the clues that this is something that's only offered to the wealthy, but it might even be just a subset of that. This might be 
very early product. And it might be being offered to people as not just attractive in the the way that it's set up in this very nostalgic way, which is attractive to people for certain reasons, but has its own kind of problems. I think that nostalgia and the objects of nostalgia are by definition, right, not real. They're these imagined constructs that are not accurate memories of the past. But I think generally we can think of it as problematic that this would be something that's only offered to the sort of the, the economic elite of society. But I think that Again, if we think about the the shot at the end of the bank of these cookies and what the corporation might have in store or what might be in the interest of the corporation for people who participate in a program like this, we could imagine that it could be even more nefarious than what we really see in the episode. That if you are giving over your digital self to a corporation, it may not be clear then what they will do in perpetuity with that data. So they could continue mining your digi- the data of your digital self to further market this, this reality. They could copy it. There, for all we know, that's happening. <laughs> Those cookies at the end could be individual people or they could each be individual San Juniperos. It's not clear. I think you're bringing up something really important, which is that this is at least, this is in part the situation that we're already in, which is that we are putting out a lot of digital, obviously like collectible, analyzable, monetizable, aggregatable, I'm not sure aggregatable is even a word, but information about ourselves. And there's some guess that within the next five or 10 years that most of the people, more than half of the people on Facebook will be dead people. And it's not entirely clear who owns that information anymore. And for the, all of the listeners, probably 1% of you actually read the terms and conditions of what is done with their information. It's something that we really do need to be thinking about. It's not unimaginable that within the next decade that people could take effectively this hearkening back to another Black Mirror episode, the Be Right Back episode, but could basically collect all of the information that we've shared through social media, through even private emails, text messages, our obviously Google caches and, you know, Amazon are purchasing, you know, and effectively recreate a kind of AI version of ourselves. And that is a different sort of thing than taking our consciousness and trans it with a sense of itself into some other world, but it's of a piece of the same question, right? Which is that how well are we preparing for this possibility, for this possibility that our digital selves become products? They are already products, <laughs> obviously, but yeah. products in this sense, in the San Junipero sense. Yeah, I, don't, I think that one of the sort of takeaways that you could take from San Junipero is that we're not very well prepared for that. And then in fact, the characters, Yorkie and Kelly, maybe Yorkie more so than Kelly, are because of their circumstances, maybe because of the way that San Junipero is set up and and was marketed to them, have bought into this in ways that they might not fully understand. And I I say maybe Yorkie more than Kelly, not only because of Kelly's initial 
hesitance about transferring herself completely over to to San Junipero, but also because there is a theory out there right, on the internet in the in the Black Mirror boards and whatnot that Kelly didn't actually pass over to San Junipero at the end. Uh, this is something that I want to talk about. I want let's get into the weeds of the yes. plot here. <laughs> You're listening to Black Mirror Reflections which is mostly a labor of love and is, at present, ad-free. If you like what you hear, and if you're hearing what you like, consider donating to us at patreon.com backslash blackmirrorreflections. That's patreon.com backslash blackmirrorreflections. And now back to our conversation. Okay, so yeah, go ahead and tell us what the suspicion is about why IRL Kelly does not actually transition to San Junipero at the end. So again, Kelly says to Yorkie earlier in the episode that her plan was just to spend like a couple of months coming to San Junipero and having fun. And when she explains this, Together with some things she said earlier in the episode, you get a sense of it. Yeah, she had she had this 50-year marriage and she was happy. She loved her husband, but she also felt like she'd missed out on some things. So she's gonna get she's gonna get that fun in now while she has a chance. But when it's over and she's gonna she's gonna die. What we see towards the end is her Kelly sitting on a bench with her caretaker, and she just out of the blue says, okay, I think I'm ready for the rest of it, which is a little ambiguous. And we might be led to to believe that means she's changed her mind about San Junipero because earlier in the episode, she has said that she doesn't think uh, there is an an afterlife in the traditional sense, that when you die, you die. But when we see the shot of Kelly actually dying, which looks in other respects very similar to the scene that we see of Yorkie dying, it seems like it's a kind of euthanasia process. Mm-hmm. When we see Yorkie die, there is some kind of interface that's attached to her temple that it's been made clear that's how people participate in San Junipero via that and interface. That, and that interface is what we see in the server farms in Tucker Industries. Yes, something that, like that or something, something like it. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. In the shot that we see of Kelly when she is dying, real-world Kelly when she's dying, we don't see that interface. Now, that's not definitive because the shot is of her other side. When we see her earlier with that interface on, it's on her right side, and then we just see a shot of her left side at the end. So it might just be that it's not in the shot, or it might be that she doesn't have it on and she doesn't transition to San Junipero. So why is she there at the end to be picked up by Yorkie? It could just be a copy that the corporation made for Yorkie so that she would have a happy experience in San Junipero, right? They, they may have farmed all that data from their interactions over the last few weeks and created a digital copy of Kelly. Okay, so uh, you actually told me this theory, which I had not heard uh, a, a little bit earlier, a few days ago, and I am now 100% convinced of this. Like, I do not <laughs> think, it never made sense to me why, uh, the, there is a final scene where Yorkie and Kelly, or near the end of the episode, where Yorkie and Kelly are having an argument about you know, whether or not Kelly is going to come to 
send you to para permanently. And it's right before midnight. And it's very clear at the end of their argument that Kelly is not going to come to San Junipero. And she says a lot of mean and hurtful things on purpose, right? Like, I was just felt sorry for you, or I was just trying right. to be nice, or these sorts of things. The kind of really horrible breakup kind of uh, <laughs> right. uh, claims that people make. At any rate, then Kelly jumps in her car. This is, again, minutes before midnight. And we know that people who are alive have to leave Jan San Junipero by midnight. She gets in her car, speeds down the road, and appears to be speeding directly towards a kind of roadblock, you know, road barrier, and hits it and is thrown from her Jeep and lands in the sand at, we're led to believe, what would have been 12 o'clock. Yorkie then rushes over to what appears to be a dead Kelly laying in the sand and picks her up. And then there's the cut to what is actually the final scene or, you know, penultimate scene of the episode where we see uh, Yorkie then driving in her car back to Kelly's house and Kelly steps out from around the corner and it's, we're, we're meant to believe they're there together. But it doesn't, it never made any sense to me while they're there together. And I love this theory that you've just put forward or someone did, which <laughs> is that it, perhaps it is the case that everyone has a San Junipero that is idiosyncratic to them, that's going to be, that Tucker systems or whatever is going to create. And it's all, it's not just your consciousness that gets plugged into that server farm at Tucker systems, but your consciousness in its own idea of an afterlife, um, which maybe makes San Junipero only depressing for Kelly, right? I mean, for Yorkie <laughs> and not for all the rest of us, possibly. But it is a really interesting theory. I do think that there are holes in this plot that don't make sense to me. And that is one of them. I think, I think that this, I, it's still ambiguous to me. I think that I would be more skeptical of how things end up and is, is what we're, we're seeing really what's actually happening if it weren't for the real world interactions that we see when yeah, we see yeah. elderly Kelly and elderly Yorkie, because otherwise we could wonder how much of this is even going on, right? How much of, how many of the San Junipero people who we see are even, are or were even real like meat space people. But we right. do see those scenes where elderly Kelly visits in person, face-to-face -face elderly Yorkie, has a conversation with Yorkie's nurse, Greg. And so another important aspect to this and what I think lends a lot of weight to that scene that you described just now that we haven't talked about yet, and this is what I said earlier that I'd come back to, is that part of Yorkie's situation is that she was actually ready to end her life and go to San Junipero much earlier, but she hasn't been legally allowed to because she needs a family member to okay it. Right. And her family is, is very conservative and religious. And, and we don't see them in the episode, but we're told that both by Yorkie and by Greg. And, and, this, and we're also... We're also told that the reason that she's in this coma, which she's been in for most of her adult life, is because 
right after she came out to her fa- told her family that she was gay when she was quite young they rejected her there was this sort of dramatic conversation between them yes. she goes and gets in her car and races off and has an accident and then spends the rest of her life in this coma and also right. presumably as the ward of her parents yes Yes, which is also which also makes it significant that she's the one driving the convertible at the end. That you there were there are other places in the episode where there like there's a, there's a racing video game in the arcade that she goes into, and somebody crashes it and she jumps because yeah. you see she's very affected by that. She still has a little bit of I guess we might say PTSD on, about that. But at the end, she's taking the wheel. But it's also significant that the scene you described where Kelly crashes her Jeep, that is right after Kelly and Yorkie. Actually, now I'm trying to place it in the episode. I think it's right after Kelly agrees to marry Yorkie because the plan was that Greg, Yorkie's nurse, would marry Yorkie so that then he could be the family member to okay her euthanasia. And then after they fall for each other, Kelly proposes to Yorkie in San Junipero and says, let me do this for you. And then so they get married so Kelly can get, can be the one to give that permission. But at that point, Kelly still has not agreed to spend forever in San Junipero. And I, I believe it's after their marriage where they have this big argument. kind of not entirely worked out theory about this is consistent with my idea that this is pitched for people in their 40s but about why this is a story about a lesbian couple and not a regular straight couple so here try this on for size as a theory so I think that one two things that were really interesting to me is that all of the, so we know that people can jump around in time in San Junipero because when Kelly, I'm sorry, when Yorkie initially is looking for Kelly, when Kelly's like avoiding Yorkie, she jumps, as you said, you know, from a, a time slot that's in the early or the late 70s, then to the kind of mid 90s, then there's one in 2002. And then of course they initially meet in the 80s. But interestingly, no time slot is shown that is post the digital age. It's all pre-digital life. I mean, 2002 is really the latest time that we see in San Junipero. So it definitely seems to me a part of the kind of nostalgia subplot that what San Junipero is a simulation of a kind of nostalgia for life before the internet, before social media, before all of these things, before good fashion. So sorry. Uh, But also it is the case that, and so that is, you and I are both in our forties. You're in your early forties. I'm in my later forties. And so we are the generation that bridged that divide. Like we can remember having a life before the internet, but most of our, or at least more than half of our life has been in the internet or on the internet. I think we're also the age that can, that has a very distinct memory of being a young person of a, of a terrible sort of life for young gay people who are coming out. And we can imagine a a person in their 40s 
who never had the opportunity, as Yorkie did not, to live a happy life as a you know lesbian woman throughout her life, would be nostalgic for a, a simulated world that could keep all of the great things about that about the world that she lived in and that she was nostalgic about. Except it would have this one difference, which is that she could be gay. In it. Yes, like no, she that could makes... fall in love as a lesbian in it. Yeah, but I think that that is a very target. That's a Gen X fantasy simulation. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. And it's, I think we see that play out in the episode. At the very beginning, Yorkie's very hesitant. She gets very self-conscious dancing with Kelly the first time. In fact, she actually says when they're talking outside the bar, she actually says, I felt like they were all looking at us and we were dancing together. And so she, yeah, it's definitely an experience that she's never had before, which this is not on this point, but by the way, the name of the song that's playing when they first dance together is fake. No, is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't know that. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a pivot here and ask you: Is this something that you would do? And and I I know I realize that we have to put a huge caveat on however we answer this because it is entirely possible and probably even likely that what we say about uh, the pro- our own prospects for an afterlife now in our 40s when we're both relatively healthy could be dramatically different than what we would say when we're knocking on death's door or when death is knocking on our door. But right now, uh, what do, would is this something that you would choose? So right now, I think that caveat is really important because right now I would say, or at least I think I'd like to be able to say, I think I would say that all of the kind of negative aspects of this that we've identified, like the, the possibility of this kind of forever, like I don't even want to call it really an afterlife. It's just this sort of indefinite digital life would be too fraught with the continuance of bad experiences and and pain and suffering that it doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that I would desire. Plus the concerns that we mentioned about corporations using your digital self in in ways that are, that I wouldn't be comfortable with. So I'd like to say no, but if it were the case, if I was one of the people who was being offered this, that is, if I was, if I had a terminal illness or if I was much older than I am now. So if, if my mortality was more, I think, in the forefront of my everyday existence. existence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I might. I'll confess, I might have a different reaction. What and, if you were in Yorkie's situation, which you described her earlier as being in a vegetative state? But I think it's clear that she's not in a vegetative state. She just doesn't have the capacity to. She doesn't obviously have the uh, ability to use her body anymore and d- doesn't have the capacity to speak, but she, they, they have some kind of brain machine interface that she uses to communicate with people. Yeah. Oh, that's on, a good on point. The kind of the, on the kind of Stephen Hawking sort of model. So she is aware of her existence. If you were in that situation, is San Junipero something you would choose? <sighs> Because that to me, I think it might. Talking, like I think, it, about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, yeah. Because I think I agree with you that I right now would say I don't think this is something that I would choose, even if I was terminally ill. I certainly would not choose it right now in my not terminally ill. I don't think that it's something that I would choose, even if I was terminally ill. But then when I put myself in uh, Yorkie's situation and think about myself as having an active and aware and functioning mind but no ability to communicate, 
right? And no ability to use my body. I, it's very, it's very hard. That the prospect looks a lot more enticing. And particularly for her, like you said, she was fairly young. I think she was like 20 or 21, it says in the episode, when she was in this crash. Yeah. So to have spent that much of her life or, yeah. or to have been at that point in your life where so much of your life is potential, it's ahead of you, mm-hmm. and then not have had those experiences. Yeah, I think that's, it would be hard to say no. Yeah, I think that I would opt for the, I would definitely, this is assuming that I was wealthy enough or somebody, some nurse had wanted to marry me that was wealthy yeah. enough to get this took. <laughs> but I think I would probably opt for it. But with this huge exception, I'm sorry, huge caveat, which is that it would, I would have to be given an expiration date. I wouldn't want to infinitely live in San Junipero. But if I had, if I was in this kind of state that the character Yorkie is in, and I had a chance to take my consciousness and transfer it to a less inhibited body, even if only in a simulation. I think that I would opt for it, but not forever, just for another life. The I think the questions would still remain in that situation, but could you still exist in San Junipero in a way in which your existence has a meaning? Because would your actions in that situation, even if it's for a limited amount of time, have consequences in any meaningful sense? I think that's an interesting question. I think it's really about whether or not, I do think this is one of the questions that San Junipero means for us to ask, is what makes a life meaningful. And I think I'm inclined to say that it's the existence of something like an expiration date. And it seems to me that you're inclined to say that it's something like having real consequences. Real meaning not happening in a simulation, I think. Yeah, I think that another way to put that is, is the kind of experience we have gauged by things like happiness and suffering. Can Can the needle be moved? on that can the the consequences of our actions be such that it increases or decreases the suffering or the happiness of our existence and something that i'm that i suspect about san junipero is that even in a even if you're in there for a limited time one problem might be that in some it really can't because it's this sort of closed world and i think another way to think about that is we could say maybe maybe we can't maybe we could maybe a person could enter san junipero and spend a a limited amount of time there knowing that they'll have an end and that might change their experience but you would still know and it would still be i think an aspect of your existence in that situation that your possibilities your potential for what happens between now and that expiration date is calculable in a way that maybe our experience in the the real world um, the like meat space world isn't and that might have to do with the sort of uncertain nature of our mortality in the the real world the not knowing how much we ha- time we have left it may i think that there's also a sense in which our lives are and our experience our existence in the real world is rich in a way that it doesn't seem like san junipero is like san junipero is a pretty superficial reality a lot a yeah. lo- mostly because of the way that nostalgia is, is structures it and i in you can imagine that a, a simulation like that wouldn't have to be that way but I, this I was, one certainly is i think that it is because 
it's indefinite. And so I, I've, to, the, to your sort of first point, I don't think that that the kinds of pleasures and pains that we experience or our own understanding of the significance or meaningfulness of what we're doing would change in a simulation if it is the case that it was still a limited simulation, that there was going to be an end to it at some point. And, and in that sense, I think it's no different than my life right now. I don't think that I'm living in a simulation, but I know that I have a limited amount of time to live this life. If I were to find out tomorrow that it's a simulation, I'd still think that I could live a meaningful life, even knowing that it was a simulation, because it's going to end at some point. And, and that is how my consciousness understands meaning construction in some ways. It is just within this kind of the limits of natality and mortality. Now, I do think the second thing you said I didn't think about and I agree with, which is that if I were in some in a simulation, knew I was in a simulation, knew that it was it would end someday, that ending would I would have to not know when the ending is. Right? It would also have to be a kind of indefinite end or a not entirely anticipatable or calculable end in order for it to simulate the meaningful <laughs> life that I think that I have now or the meaningful life that I really have now because yeah. I don't think I'm in a simulation. <laughs> But I, yeah, I don't think that it seems to me that the big flaw of San Junipero is that it's forever. Yeah, I think among its flaws, that is right. that is certainly a big one. But yeah, I think that also that I think the knowing when part and the wrinkle that introduces in the situation is at least gestured toward a little bit in the episode in that um, scene that you were talking about earlier where Kelly tries to to break up with Yorkie and she says those mean things and then she drives off and wrecks her Jeep and, and she's thrown on the ground and it looks like she's dead, but it's two minutes to midnight. So she's still lying there and Yorkie runs after her. Kelly actually sits up before Yorkie gets there so it's clear that she didn't die. And I think there's something about that, again, signals maybe to us that it's not up to the characters to yeah. decide when they can leave. And that yeah. she can't even take something like the end of her life into her own hands. When does she disappear from that scene? At midnight. Yeah. Um, and this may actually be, because it is the case that in the rest, in the sort of superficial part of San Junipero, Everyone is going about their lives as if they're in normal, real space, meat space life. But when they go to the quagmire, you see people trying to push those limits as hard as possible. It's almost like people are doing all the kinds of things that would kill you or would hurt you. Or And the reason that it's a quagmire is because none of them have consequences. None of those things right. have real consequences. of this episode, please make sure to check out our post at readmorewritemorethinkmorebemore.com. That's readmorewritemorethinkmorebemore.com, where we'll include a list of further readings, references, and links to things that we talked about in this episode. Now back to the conversation. 
So Michael, we need to wrap this up here. And so I'm going to ask you three questions about San Junipero. You've got to, you have, you're going to have to shoot from the hip here that I'm asking all the guests about all the episodes. So the first question is, what do you think that we should take away from this episode? The second question is, what about it makes worries you the most or makes you the most concerned? And then the third is, on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is totally dystopic and 10 is totally utopic, where does San Junipero, the episode? So I think that we should take away from San Junipero that the kinds of technology that appear to us as the, the best for us, right? The most optimistic, the most, uh, the greatest solutions for some of the ba- the biggest problems in our lives yeah. um, may and, and likely will have disadvantages, will have downsides that will not be initially apparent to us. And that is something that we'll have to seriously think about and that we should be on guard for. The second question was what? The second question was what is the most concerning or what worries you the most about this? Okay. So you might have answered it in the first question. But- so I think partly I would answer that. Honestly, I think the part of it that worries me the most, the part of it that I find most unsettling in a more specific sense is, again, precisely that last shot where you see the server farm and the, the idea that this reality, and particularly a reality that the audience is, is maybe encouraged to understand and the characters certainly understand as a kind of afterlife, is created and managed by a corporation that, again, may have other goals and and things to do, right, with the incredibly personal, in a strict sense, information that you're giving <laughs> yeah. them, the data that make up who you are as a person, your consciousness, yeah. your identity. And, okay, so on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is a utopia and 10 is a complete dystopia? No, it was the opposite. Oh, it was so, the opposite. 10 is a complete right, right. utopia and right. 1 is a complete dystopia? Okay, I am going to put this at, I'm going to put this at three. Whoa. I think that, I think the more I think about this episode, and like I said, my very first reaction to it when I first saw it was that, oh, this is a happy ending. It's really beautiful. This wonderful <laughs> love story. And they get to exist in this cool place where that's they're really going to have fun <laughs> and listen to the fun music. But no, the more I think about it, and especially having rewatched it recently for this conversation and, and thought about it, with more attention, I, the darker I, it seems to me. So yeah. yeah three, that's low. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I really want to thank you for this conversation. This has been really great. And I hope maybe I can invite you again back to talk about another episode. But since you rated San Junipero at a three, I'm going to go ahead and schedule in the calendar when you turn, I don't know, 65, 70, come back, <laughs> talk about this again. We'll see how far up on the, on the utopian yeah. scale it is. <laughs> but thanks so much for joining me, Michael. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Black Mirror Reflections. Check us out and please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your regular podcasts.